Section 11 of Chapter 24 of A History of England by Thomas Babington Macaulay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Chapter 24, Section 11. A few hours later, the chiefs of the expedition went on shore, took formal possession of the country, and named it Caledonia. They were pleased with the aspect of a small peninsula about three miles in length and a quarter of a mile in breadth, and determined to fix here the city of New Edinburgh, destined, as they hoped, to be the great emporium of both Indies. The peninsula terminated in a low promontory of about thirty acres, which might easily be turned into an island by digging a trench. The trench was dug, and on the ground thus separated from the main land, a fort was constructed. Fifty guns were placed on the ramparts, and within the enclosures houses were speedily built and thatched with palm leaves. Negotiations were opened with the chieftains, as they were called, who governed the neighboring tribes. Among these savage rulers were found as insatiable a cupidity, as watchful a jealousy, and as punctilious a pride as among the potentates whose disputes had seemed likely to make the Congress of Rizik eternal. One prince hated the Spaniards because a fine rifle had been taken away from him by the governor of Portobello, on the plea that such a weapon was too good for a red man. Another loved the Spaniards because they had given him a stick tipped with silver. On the whole, the newcomers succeeded in making friends of the aboriginal race. One mighty monarch, the Lewis the Great of the Isthmus, who wore with pride a cap of white reeds lined with red silk and adorned with an ostrich feather, seemed well inclined to the strangers, received them hospitably in a palace built of canes and covered with palmetto royal, and regaled them with calabashes of a sort of ale brewed from Indian corn and potatoes. Another chief set his mark to a treaty of peace and alliance with the colony, a third consented to become a vassal of the company, received with great delight a commission embellished with gold thread and flowered ribbond, and swallowed to the health of his new masters not a few bumpers of their own brandy. Meanwhile, the internal government of the colony was organized according to a plan devised by the directors at Edinburgh. The settlers were divided into bands of fifty or sixty. Each band chose a representative, and thus was formed an assembly which took the magnificent name of Parliament. This Parliament speedily framed a curious code. The first article provided that the precepts, instructions, examples, commands, and prohibitions expressed and contained in the Holy Scriptures should have the full force and effect of laws in New Caledonia, an enactment which proves that those who drew it up 
either did not know what the holy scriptures contained or did not know what a law meant there is another provision which shows not less clearly how far these legislators were from understanding the first principles of legislation benefits received and good services done shall always be generously and thankfully compensated whether a prior bargain hath been made or not and if it shall happen to be otherwise and the benefactor obliged justly to complain of the ingratitude the ungrateful shall in such case be obliged to give threefold satisfaction at the least an article much more credible to the little parliament and much needed in a community which was likely to be constantly at war prohibits on pain of death the violation of female captives by this time all the antilles and all the shores of the gulf of mexico were in a ferment the new colony was the object of universal hatred the spaniards began to fit out armaments the chiefs of the french dependencies in the west indies eagerly offered assistance to the spaniards the governors of the english settlements put forth proclamations interdicting all communication with this nest of buccaneers just at this time the dolphin a vessel of fourteen guns which was the property of the scotch company was driven on shore by stress of weather under the walls of cartagena the ship and cargo were confiscated the crew imprisoned and put in irons some of the sailors were treated as slaves and compelled to sweep the streets and to work on the fortifications others and among them the captain were sent to seville to be tried for piracy soon an envoy with a flag of truce arrived at cartagena and in the name of the council of caledonia demanded the release of the prisoners he delivered to the authorities a letter threatening them with the vengeance of the king of great britain and a copy of the act of parliament by which the company had been created the castilian governor who probably knew that william as sovereign of england would not and as sovereign of scotland could not protect the squatters who had occupied darien flung away both letter and act of parliament with a gesture of contempt called for a guard and was with difficulty dissuaded from throwing the messenger into a dungeon the council of caledonia in great indignation issued letters of mark and reprisal against spanish vessels what every man of common sense must have foreseen had taken place the scottish flag had been but a few months planted on the walls of new edinburgh and already a war which scotland without the help of england was utterly unable to sustain had begun by this time it was known in europe that the mysterious voyage of the adventurers from the fourth had ended at darien the ambassador of the catholic king repaired to kensington and complained bitterly to william of this outrageous violation of the law of nations preparations were made in the spanish ports for an expedition against the intruders and in no spanish port 
were there more fervent wishes for the success of that expedition than in the cities of london and bristol in scotland on the other hand the exultation was boundless in the parish churches all over the kingdom the ministers gave public thanks to god for having vouchsafed thus far to protect and bless the infant colony at some places a day was set apart for religious exercises on this account in every borough bells were rung bonfires were lighted and candles were placed in the windows at night during some months all the reports which arrived from the other side of the atlantic were such as to excite hope and joy in the north of the island and alarm and envy in the south the colonists it was asserted had found rich gold mines mines in which the precious metal was far more abundant and in a far purer state than on the coast of guinea provisions were plentiful the rainy season had not proved unhealthy the settlement was well fortified sixty guns were mounted on the ramparts an immense crop of indian corn was expected the aboriginal tribes were friendly emigrants from various quarters were coming in the population of caledonia had already increased from twelve hundred to ten thousand the riches of the country these are the words of a newspaper of that time were great beyond imagination the mania in scotland rose to the highest point munitions of war and implements of agriculture were provided in large quantities multitudes were impatient to emigrate to the land of promise in august sixteen ninety nine four ships with thirteen hundred men on board were dispatched by the company to caledonia the spiritual care of these emigrants was entrusted to divines of the church of scotland one of these was that alexander shields whose hind let loose proved that in his zeal for the covenant he had forgotten the gospel to another john borland we owe the best account of the voyage which is now extant the general assembly had charged the chaplains to divide the colonists into congregations to appoint ruling elders and to constitute a presbytery and to labour for the propagation of divine truth among the pagan inhabitants of darien the second expedition sailed as the first had sailed amidst the acclamations and blessings of all scotland during the earlier part of september the whole nation was dreaming a delightful dream of prosperity and glory and triumphing somewhat maliciously in the vexation of the english but before the close of that month it began to be rumoured about lombard street and cheapside that letters had arrived from jamaica with strange news the colony from which so much had been hoped and dreaded was no more it had disappeared from the face of the earth the report spread to edinburgh but was received there with scornful incredulity it was an impudent lie devised by some englishmen who could not bear to see that in spite of the votes of the english parliament 
in spite of the proclamations of the governors of the English colonies, Caledonia was waxing great and opulent. Nay, the inventor of the fable was named. It was declared to be quite certain that Secretary Vernon was the man. On the 4th of October was put forth a vehement contradiction of the story. On the 5th the whole truth was known. Letters were received from New York announcing that a few miserable men, the remains of the colony which was to have been the garden, the warehouse, the mart of the whole world, their bones peeping through their skin, and hunger and fever written in their faces, had arrived in the Hudson. The grief, the dismay, and the rage of those who had, a few hours before, fancied them masters of all the wealth of both Indies, may easily be imagined. The directors, in their fury, lost all self-command, and in their official letters railed at the betrayers of Scotland, the white-livered deserters. The truth is that those who used these hard words were far more deserving of blame than the wretches whom they had sent to destruction, and whom they now reviled for not staying to be utterly destroyed. Nothing had happened but what might easily have been foreseen. The company had, in childish reliance on the word of an enthusiastic projector, and in defiance of facts known to every educated man in Europe, taken it for granted that emigrants born and bred within ten degrees of the Arctic Circle would enjoy excellent health within ten degrees of the equator. Nay, statesmen and scholars had been deluded into the belief that a country which, as they might have read in books so common as those of Hakloit and Purchas, was noted even among tropical countries for its insalubrity and had been abandoned by the Spaniards solely on account of its insalubrity, was a Montpellier. Nor had any of Patterson's dupes considered how colonists from Fife or Lothian, who had never in their lives known what it was to feel the heat of a distressing midsummer day, could endure the labour of breaking clods and carrying burdens under the fierce blaze of a vertical sun, it ought to have been remembered that such colonists would have to do for themselves what English, French, and Spanish colonists employed Negroes or Indians to do for them. It was seldom indeed that a white freeman in Barbados or Martinique, in Guyana or at Panama, was employed in severe bodily labour, but the Scotch who settled at Darien must at first be without slaves, and must therefore dig the trench round their town, build their houses, cultivate their fields, hew wood, and draw water with their own hands. Such toil in such an atmosphere was too much for them. The provisions which they had brought out had been of no good quality, and had not been improved by lapse of time or by change of climate. The yams and plantains did not suit stomachs accustomed to good oatmeal. 
the flesh of wild animals and the green fat of the turtle a luxury then unknown in europe went but a small way and supplies were not to be expected from any foreign settlement during the cool months however which immediately followed the occupation of the isthmus there were few deaths but before the equinox disease began to make fearful havoc in the little community the mortality gradually rose to ten or twelve a day both the clergymen who had accompanied the expedition died patterson buried his wife in that soil which as he had assured his two credulous countrymen exhaled health and vigour he was himself stretched on his pallet by an intermittent fever still he would not admit that the climate of his promised land was bad there could not be a purer air this was merely the seasoning which people who passed from one country to another must expect in november all would be well again but the rate at which the emigrants died was such that none of them seemed likely to live till november those who were not laid on their beds were yellow lean feeble hardly able to move the sick and to bury the dead and quite unable to repel the expected attack of the spaniards the cry of the whole community was that death was all around them and that they must while they still had strength to weigh an anchor or spread a sail fly to some less fatal region the men and provisions were equally distributed among three ships the caledonia the unicorn and the saint andrew patterson though still too ill to sit in the council begged hard that he might be left behind with twenty or thirty companions to keep up a show of possession and to await the next arrivals from scotland so small a number of people he said might easily subsist by catching fish and turtle but his offer was disregarded he was carried utterly helpless on board of the saint andrew and the vessel stood out to sea the voyage was horrible scarcely any guinea slave ship has ever had such a middle passage of two hundred and fifty persons who were on board of the saint andrew one hundred and fifty fed the sharks of the atlantic before sandy hook was in sight the unicorn lost almost all its officers and about a hundred and forty men the caledonia the healthiest ship of the three threw overboard a hundred corpses the squalid survivors as if they were not sufficiently miserable raged fiercely against one another charges of incapacity cruelty brutal insolence were hurled backward and forward the rigid presbyterians attributed the calamities of the colony to the wickedness of jacobites prelatists sabbath-breakers atheists who hated in others that image of god which was wanting in themselves the accused malignants on the other hand complained bitterly of the impertinence of meddling fanatics and hypocrites patterson was cruelly reviled and was unable to defend himself he had been completely prostrated by bodily and mental suffering he looked like a skeleton his heart was broken 
his inventive faculties and his plausible eloquence were no more and he seemed to have sunk into second childhood meanwhile the second expedition had been on the seas it reached darien about four months after the first settlers had fled the newcomers had fully expected to find a flourishing young town secure fortifications cultivated fields and a cordial welcome they found a wilderness the castle of new edinburgh was in ruins the huts had been burned the site marked out for the proud capital which was to have been the tyre the venice the amsterdam of the eighteenth century was overgrown with jungle and inhabited only by the sloth and the baboon the hearts of the adventurers sank within them for their fleet had been fitted out not to plant a colony but to recruit a colony already planted and supposed to be prospering they were therefore worse provided with every necessary of life than their predecessors had been some feeble attempts however were made to restore what had perished a new fort was constructed on the old ground and within the ramparts was built a hamlet consisting of eighty or ninety cabins generally of twelve feet by ten but the work went on languidly the alacrity which is the effect of hope the strength which is the effect of union were alike wanting to the little community from the councillors down to the humblest settlers all was despondency and discontent the stock of provisions was scanty the stewards embezzled great part of it the rations were small and soon there was a cry that they were unfairly distributed factions were formed plots were laid one ringleader of the malcontents was hanged the scotch were generally as they still are a religious people and it might therefore have been expected that the influence of the divines to whom the spiritual charge of the colony had been confided would have been employed with advantage for the preserving of order and the calming of evil passions unfortunately those divines seem to have been at war with almost all the rest of the society they described their companions as the most profligate of all mankind and declared that it was impossible to constitute a presbytery according to the directions of the general assembly for that persons fit to be ruling elders of a christian church were not to be found among the twelve or thirteen hundred emigrants where the blame lay it is now impossible to decide all that can with confidence be said is that either the clergyman must have been most unreasonably and most uncharitably austere or the layman must have been most unfavourable specimens of the nation and class to which they belonged it may be added that the provision by the general assembly for the spiritual wants of the colony was as defective as the provision made for temporal wants by the directors of the company nearly one-third of the emigrants who sailed with the second expedition were highlanders who did not understand a word of english 
and not one of the four chaplains could speak a word of Gaelic. It was only through interpreters that a pastor could communicate with a large proportion of the Christian flock of which he had charge. Even by the help of interpreters, he could not impart religious instruction to those heathen tribes which the Church of Scotland had solemnly recommended to his care. In fact, the colonists left behind them no mark that baptized men had set foot on Darien, except a few Anglo-Saxon curses, which having been uttered more frequently and with greater energy than any other words in our language, had caught the ear and been retained in the memory of the native population of the Isthmus. The months which immediately followed the arrival of the newcomers were the coolest and most salubrious of the year. But even in those months, the pestilential influence of a tropical sun, shining on swamps rank with impenetrable thickets of black mangroves, began to be felt. The mortality was great, and it was but too clear that before the summer was far advanced, the second colony would, like the first, have to choose between death and flight. But the agony of the inevitable dissolution was shortened by violence. A fleet of eleven vessels under the flag of Castile anchored off New Edinburgh. At the same time an irregular army of Spaniards, Creoles, Negroes, Mulattoes and Indians marched across the Isthmus from Panama, and the fort was blockaded at once by sea and land. A drummer soon came with a message from the besiegers, but a message which was utterly unintelligible to the besieged. Even after all that we have seen of the perverse imbecility of the directors of the company, it must be thought strange that they should have sent a colony to a remote part of the world, where it was certain that there must be constant intercourse, peaceable or hostile with Spaniards, and yet should not have taken care that there should be in the whole colony a single person who knew a little Spanish. With some difficulty a negotiation was carried on in such French and such Latin as the two parties could furnish. Before the end of March a treaty was signed by which the Scotch bound themselves to evacuate Darien in fourteen days, and on the 11th of April they departed, a much less numerous body than when they arrived. In little more than four months, although the healthiest months of the year, three hundred men out of thirteen hundred had been swept away by disease. Of the survivors, very few lived to see their native country again. Two of the ships perished at sea. Many of the adventurers who had left their homes, flushed with hopes of speedy opulence, were glad to hire themselves out to the planters of Jamaica, and laid their bones in that land of exile. Shields died there, worn out and heartbroken. Borland was the only minister who came back. In his curious and interesting narrative, he expresses his feelings after the fashion of the school in which he had been bred, by grotesque allusions to the Old Testament, and by a profusion of Hebrew words. On his first arrival, he tells us, 
he found New Edinburgh a ziklag. He had subsequently been compelled to dwell in the tents of Kedar. Once, indeed, during his sojourn, he had fallen in with the Beer Lahai Roy, and had set up his Ebenezer, but in general Darien was to him a Magor Misabib, a Kibroth Hatava. The sad story is introduced with the words in which a great man of old, delivered over to the malice of the evil power, was informed of the death of his children and of the ruin of his fortunes. I alone am escaped to tell thee. End of section 11 End of chapter 24 of the History of England by Thomas Babington Macaulay